Thanks for checking out the Ascent Church podcast. Our mission is to reach, equip, and impact others exactly where they are as we rise to new life in Christ. We hope that this message encourages you. Now, here's Pastor Thomas Lane. No matter where we are, there's going to be an opportunity to moan, to whine, to complain. We ain't ever happy. Turn your neighbor, say, we ain't ever happy. We ain't ever happy. Going is easy. Staying is hard. But today I came to tell you, love stays. Love plants. Love digs in. Let's pray and we'll get to the text. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for challenging us and teaching us. And God, we thank you for Virginia Beach. If we're lifers, if we're only here for another week, or if we're here for our, uh, through a deployment, whatever it is, God, I just ask you to use this time. May we not make this time all about ourselves. May we see how maybe we could use it to serve the community or how we can grow or how we can, I don't know, get an education, meet the love of our life, get to know you, whatever it is, God. Thank you for this time. Sometimes it's not, only, uh, it's not often clear until it's over. But God, please reveal to us what we're supposed to be doing in this time. And we thank you for it. God, help us be a people that's joyful no matter the circumstance. And please teach us today how love stays, how love plants, how love digs in. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're talking today about how love stays. And I know based on the size of the crowd that there's, this is a sensitive subject. So I just want to address this real quick. Some of you, when I'm talking about love stays, um, maybe recently you've been divorced or you're going through a divorce or you were abandoned by a family member or a church or an employer or someone close to you. And this can be hard. This can churn up a lot of emotions. Um, A preacher said, my favorite preacher said this one time and it really stuck with me. And I just want to share with you today. I wanted you to know this. God will not let anyone who left you limit you for where he's taking you. I want you to know it. I'm going to say it again because some of y'all were on Instagram. He said, what did he say? What was that? God will not let anyone who left you limit you for where he's taken you. God has a plan and no amount of betrayal, no amount of so-and-so. We thought we were going to get married. That didn't work out. No amount of that is going to stop you from God bringing you where he wants to take you because his grace is sovereign. His love is sovereign. He has a plan even when we can't see it. And I don't want that to hurt you today. I don't want that to bring you down today. I want to encourage you. Because look, it's Valentine's week. All right, we're talking about, right now I'm about to read you the famous, most famous wedding passage of all time. And I do weddings all the time. I did 14 weddings last year. It's awful. I mean, it's beautiful. (laughs) Oops. I mean, it's beautiful and it's sentimental and I get to wear a suit in the hot sun and it's great. Um, But every couple wants to do this verse and I'm always like, the, the theologian in my head's like, that's not about marriage. It's not about marriage. But I let it slide because I'm a good officiant. But the passage every couple wants to do, you've heard it. It's love is patient. Love is kind. We've heard it every single wedding, but it's not about marriage. It applies. Fine. It applies. It applies. But when Paul spoke that, he wasn't at the altar. Okay. He was telling this church how to stay together. These are words I'm about to read you, which, yeah, it applies to marriage, but it's more about your church staying together. It's more about your marriage staying together. It's more about your family staying together, your community staying together as one. This is how a sent church can stay together, to stand the test of time, to be one, to be unified, to carry out the purpose that God has given us to reach, equip, and impact others exactly where they are as we raise to new life in Christ. This is how we do that. You want to know how? It's love. Oh, I thought it was something better than that. 
I thought it was something fancy, something flashy. Paul says, the, the glue, the thing to tether y'all together, it's going to be love. It's going to be self-sacrificial love. And let me tell you what kind of love it's going to take. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says this. You're going to picture you're at the wedding altar, but try to get past that, okay? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. This is the hot part. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. You're like, that is hot for a wedding. I like that. Like, I see why they want it. It's cool. It's encouraging. But, and it applies. I'm not saying it doesn't apply, but Paul is talking about community. He's talking about community. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. It works for marriage. But the main words in which he wrote this, it was to keep the church together because love is patient. Love stays. You ever wonder, look at this, why, why is patient first? Ever notice that? Paul, you started with the worst one. It's the most boring one. It's the least exciting one. It's the one everyone sucks at. I mean, it's not good at. Okay, why would you start with this? I think you have to start with it because it's the hardest I think it's the greatest challenge when it comes to raising kids, being married, doing church, having any kind of relationship. I think being patient is absolutely the hardest. I've never met anyone who just says, you know, I'm just patient. (laughs) Tell me about yourself. Well, I'm patient. When I got nothing to do, I go to the DMV just to see how long it takes, (laughs) just to count the hours because I'm just a patient person. I love that. That's not you. Nobody's patient. Someone came to me, told me right after, they said, I love your sermon. I'm not very patient. I said, welcome to the club. <laughs> Nobody is. Nobody is. I think it starts first because it's the hardest. The second thing is that patience is priority. You need to realize if you're not patient, you can't do any of this other stuff. If you're not patient, you don't even get to verse the, the next verse. If you're not patient, you can't be kind. You don't have a relationship. You, you, you don't have an opportunity to not dishonor others. You don't have an opportunity to, to not be self-seeking. You don't have an opportunity to always protect, always trust, always hope, always persevere. Of course you're going to fail if you don't start with patience. We have to lead with this. We have to lead with it. As hard as it is. I wanted to ask you, what has God wanted to do but has been unable to do because you were impatient? Is there anything God's putting on your heart right now? He's like, I really wanted to do this during this season. I really wanted to grow you in this area, but we made it five minutes and we couldn't quite stick with it. Now, maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe it's a growth area. Maybe it's a spiritual thing. I don't quite know, but I think our impatience often doesn't allow us to live the life God has for us because staying ain't sexy. It's not. Staying ain't sexy, but you want to grow? You've got to be planted. If you want to grow, you've got to be planted in your marriage, in your, in your faith community, in your small group. If you are not planted, you will never grow. When you look at scripture to the, to the God's go-to pictures of faith, of growth, it's seeds. That's boring. Half a seed's life is in the freaking dirt, in the dark, boring, doesn't even see anything, hoping the weather's good, getting teased like these last few days, right? Oh, it's 75. Oh, it's spring. Just kidding. No, it's not. That's what happens. It's waiting. It's a patient game. It's a hard, hard thing to do. But if you want to grow, you must be planted. I'm going to give us four areas of life in which 
love has to stay because love stays. Love is patient. The first one is church. (laughs) It's hard to stay. Church is tricky. When Paul was writing this, he was writing to the church in Corinth. The church. There was just one. See, we got it easy nowadays because if you get mad at me, if you get mad, you say, oh, I'm going to a different church. (laughs) Or if you got many campuses, you'd be like, I don't like you, so I'm going to that campus. Or I'm going to that other place. Or you know what? I'll just watch online. I'll be in the podcast posse for a bit. I'm just, I'm out. But in Paul's day, they didn't have that luxury. This is a huge church in Corinth, which is a, sorry, it's not a huge church. It's a huge city. It's like the modern day New York. Big, big city. There's one little church there. So Paul's telling them, look, if you guys aren't patient, if you're not kind, this thing ain't going to work. It's going to just completely blow up. They didn't have the opportunity to leave. Sometimes we have it easy. Now, I just wanted to say God operates in seasons. Our church is about a year and a half old, which means this is uh, Captain Obvious right here, okay? A year and a, okay, so no one, everyone in this room, you were either not at a church or at a different church a year and a half ago, <laughs> right? God operates in seasons. Maybe you went, someone I just met, they said, I haven't been to church really my whole life. I haven't been in all these years. That's great. We're glad you're here. This is a church for you. Maybe you were at a church. You had a bad experience. Maybe you had a great one, all right? And you, God just closed the door to open another. I'm not saying if God puts you somewhere, you have to stay there for the rest of your life. Some of you have left abusive situations, abusive relationships, and God calls us out of them to challenge us, to, to, to grow us, to protect us. But it's still, I wanted you to know that love stays because some of you in this room, you will love it here. God will call you here. You will serve here, give here, grow here, invite your friends here. And then something's going to happen. You're going to say, I don't like that series. Hmm. I don't like that shirt he's got on. Hmm. I don't like that small group. I don't like that. I didn't get that position that I deserve. Hmm. I'm out. I'm going somewhere else. And I came to tell you, I want you to think about that for a second because love is patient. Love stays. And in order to grow, we must be planted. But going is easy. Staying is hard. When it comes to church, love stays. When it comes to marriage, love stays. Because society says marriage is for me. I'm in. I'm staying as long as my needs are being met. Have you seen a Hallmark movie? That's what we want. Everything's magical. Happily ever after. First kiss at midnight with the snow happened to come just in a minute. And then a horse-drawn carriage comes up. Where did that come from? That's what we want. That's what we expect. We come to marriage thinking, I want all my needs met, fulfilled. And if not, I'm out. I'm done, son. Game over. But marriage isn't for you. That's, that's, a, that's a crazy thing to say in this day and age. But marriage is not for you. Love is patient. Love stays. It says both men and women today see marriage not as a way of creating character and community, but as a way to reach personal life goals. We make marriage about me. Me, 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 me. They're looking for a marriage partner who will fulfill their emotional, sexual, and spiritual desires. We feel like we're not quite complete. You know, while I'm at that stage of life, it's just, I just got to get married. That's what I'm missing. You know what? I need to dig into my career. Mm -hmm. You know what? Let's get married. Let's get the house and the white picket fence and better cars. And you know how you know you've arrived in America? You got a dog. You know what, dog? We got a Labradoodle. You know how many people tell me, this is what people tell me, so many people are going to hate me in about 30 seconds. People say, we got a Labradoodle. I say, oh, that's cool. And they go, next thing they always go is, it doesn't shed. (laughs) 
cool? What? My, my, my kids don't shed. Is that, is that cool too? What? The dog people just are like, new church. Sunday, I'm out. I'm out. Oh, I love it. Oh, y'all are so, so, so easy. Here, here's the whole idea. So are you leaving? You need, I offend, I'm sorry, but I'm sorry. The whole idea is we make marriage about me. Me, 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 me. To get to that place, I got to get married. So I guess I'll deal with you as long as my needs are getting met. Marriage is important. We have a, actually a small group just for marriage. Maybe this is something you need to check out. Go to ascentchurch.net. We had 150 people join groups this semester. That fires me up, okay? And some still have some spots. So you, maybe marriage is your thing. Go check that out, ascentchurch.net. But this is what it does if you make your spouse, all right, the key to your happiness. Follow along with me on this quote. That creates an extreme idealism that in turn leads to a deep pessimism that you will ever find the right person to marry. Here's what that means. Either you never, never settle down because you're not going to fulfill my needs. You have some issues. You're not perfect. You're not perfect. Or you do settle down, but you put such a burden on the person. Either, either you're constantly bitter at them because they're not measuring up or they're impressing you for a time, but that's going to fade. If you're putting a human being in the position of, for, for fulfillment that only God can fulfill, you're going to be miserable. But that's what we do. We look for husband. We look for wifey to fulfill those needs. But that is something only Jesus Christ to do. He made you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He breathed life into you. He is the only one that's ever going to fulfill you. Marriage is great. Marriage is a good thing. But if you're looking to it, to fulfill you in a way that only God can, you're just going to be disappointed. Nothing will grow you like marriage. Nothing will sanctify you like marriage. That's a fancy way of saying make you more Christ-like like marriage. You'll never realize how selfish you are until you get married. Amen. Y'all, the point is this. Here's a better marriage mantra. Not me, me, me. It's this. How about this? I like this. It says, I see your flaws, your imperfections, your weaknesses, your dependencies. But underneath them all, I see growing the person God wants you to be. That's a better picture of marriage, that God wants to work through the husbands and the wives in the room. He wants to work through you to help your partner be more Christ-like. This is an eternal process we're a part of. It's not about me, me, me. It's not about being more selfish. It's about being less. When it comes to marriage, when it comes to fighting it out, when it comes to lasting, you need to know love stays. Love stays. Love stays when it comes to kids. <laughs> oh, yeah. Are you patient with your kids? Oh, Lord, no. This is a tough one. I was super convicted even writing this part. I had to sit back and say, oh, am I going to preach this? I want to ask you, how do you speak to your kids? How do you speak to them? Colossians 3.21. Look, it says fathers. That word can actually mean parents. It says parents, do not embitter your children. God bless you. That was a great sneeze. Can we clap for that? Amen. I'm thankful for that. That was a great sneeze. Top 10, baby. Let's start it over. Colossians 3.21. Parents, do not embitter your children. Another translation is do not exasperate your children. Do not aggravate your children. Do not provoke your children or they will become discouraged. So you may be saying, well, do I let them do whatever I want? No, no, no. Scripture is very clear. We're supposed to discipline them. We're supposed to be hard on them in a sense because the world is a tough place. We need to train them up in the way we should go. But it's interesting. 
because it seems like we can take it too far. I was listening to a lecture on parenting, and it said this. It says, the way you talk to your children becomes their inner voice. And that convicted me. And based on the noise, y'all just went, oh. I think that convicted you too. The way you speak to your children, that becomes their inner voice. And some of y'all, you know, you have your kids for 18 years. Some of y'all have them for 20, 25, 30. Some of you, man, I'm going to talk to you right now, man, right now. You're in the basement playing Fortnite, eating ramen. We didn't have Fortnite. We had Halo 2. Any Halo 2 people out there? All right, respect your elders, Fortnite people. Hey, respect, respect your elders, okay? Um, Eating ramen, binge watching Netflix, saying, oh, get figured out one day. Yo, yo, it's time. I checked, and the time is now. It's time to get up, get out the house, get some independence, get yourself a girl, get married, okay? Get yourself your labradoodle, okay? It's time. It's time. And I'm not trying to offend anyone, but you're like, I don't know where I'm going to meet girls. Uh, Look around, okay? This is why we do the handshake moment every day. I'm trying to help you, okay? You ain't going to meet any girls on Fortnite, all right? But you may meet them at Ascent Church. So I'm giving you a shot. I'm giving you a shot. I said I didn't like weddings, but I'll make an exception just for you, just for you. Y'all, the point, we're having fun, but the point is this. You may get your kids for 18 years, maybe longer, maybe less, but look, if for 18 years you constantly say to your child, hurry up, why are you so slow? You're slowing the family down. Hurry up, what's wrong with you? Hurry up. Do you think magically at 18 years in one day they're going to shake that? You are creating their inner voice. Do you think there's a possibility that for the rest of their life, they feel like it's all on me? If I mess up, everything's going to fall up. I got to hurry. I got to be faster. I got to be better. Is that possible? Is it possible if you with your children, if you're constantly comparing them, your sister never did that. Your brother never talked to me like that. I was never like that. I would never do something like that when I was your age. Do you think that constantly for 18 years and they turn 19, boom, it's gone. You don't think they'll struggle with comparison maybe for another few decades? Looking at Instagram, looking at their neighbors, looking at that other mom, looking at that other dad. You don't think comparison will be built into their identity? I think he's saying that we help shape their identity. Maybe, maybe you talk down to them. Maybe you discourage them. Maybe you talk down. Same thing. For 18 years of a constant stream of discouragement, they're not going to step out the house and all of a sudden be encouraged positive people. The psychologists say for every one criticism, for every one negative comment, we have to give five positive ones. And you're saying, that's way too many. I can't handle all that. It's because the negative ones lodge. We know there's something wrong. It's our sin nature. We know we're separated from God. We know something's broken. We know something's off. Those negative ones stick. Those positive ones don't, so we have to kind of pour it on. Turn your neighbor and say, it's on us. It's on us. Do you talk to your children like they're a disappointment or a disciple? Do you talk to your children like like they're a failure or the future? Do you talk to your children like they're an inconvenience or an image bearer of the living God? Which one? Because we get to shape how they, how they speak to themselves, how they view themselves. We had 18 years to shape their identity. You need to speak life into them. Tell them, look, God's got plans for you. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. God's gonna do something in your life, in your classroom, through you, through you serving him. You gotta speak life into them. Parents, are you with me? That's on us. That's on us. But we have a choice. We have a choice. Tell them their love. Tell them their chairs. Tell them they're made in God's image. 
but it's going to take patience. <laughs> love stays. Love stays. Love is patient. We talked about marriage and church and kids. The fourth thing, I, I touched it. I, I want to keep it quick. We're, we're impatient about where we are. Just in general, where you are in your career or your relationship status or uh, in, your, in your education, we get impatient. We're so impatient. Even cookout has two drive through lanes. It's cookout. It takes three minutes. Even though I do love my trays. Where are my cookout people at? Hashtag trays for days, baby. You knew it was coming. You knew it. But even cookout, we get impatient. We get impatient with life. I came to tell you God has a plan. God has a purpose. I see some amazing leaders in here, some amazing people who probably aren't where they wanted to go. God's cooking something. He's got an assignment for you right now. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's to grow. Maybe it's to learn something. Maybe it's to finally take a risk. I don't quite know what it is, but I know God is in control. I know that he has a purpose. I know that he has a plan. So at this point in the sermon, you're thinking this is a terrible sermon because all you did for 20 minutes was tell me how I'm failing, how I'm not patient with my kids or my wife or my husband or whatever. You're just telling me how, how I failed. So how do I be more patient? Because most people in here probably would say I'm impatient, but there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just an impatient person. You need to realize it's not trying harder. It's knowing him. Christianity is like every other system. It's like every other religion. It's not do these steps, do these rules, don't mess up and you'll get rewarded. No, no, no. It's all about the gospel. That means good news. What's the gospel? The gospel is this. I'll tell it to you. The gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed than we would ever dare believe. But at the exact same time, you are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than you would ever dare hope. That is the gospel. It's not try harder, earn my way up. It's realizing I have fallen short. I have done some dumb stuff. I have made some mistakes, but God loves me all the same. That heart change is what it's going to take. Letting that sink deep. It's not trying harder. It's not doing this. God loved you so much. And he's so patient with us. He sent his only son into the world. This is what Christianity teaches. That, that God the Father sent his son into this world to teach us to live this perfect life. And Jesus Christ died the perfect death. He died as our substitute on the cross. He took our punishment of all the sin, all the rebellion, all the mistakes, everything we've done wrong. Jesus paid that penalty. He paid the bill on the cross so that we can have freedom. So that we may have access to the Father. And it's all because of his love. And it's all because of his patience. When you're feeling impatient, there's two things I want you to do. The first one is pause the pressure. Just pause the pressure. When you feel it welling up, you're mad at your kids, mad at your boss. I want you to just pause the pressure. Call time out and just chill, sit, take a deep breath, pause. And the second thing I want you to do is pursue the gospel. Preach it to yourself. If in those words I just said, if it's reading your Bible, if it's listening to a song, you have to remind yourself constantly of what... I just told you, and realize how patient God is with you. When you stop and meditate on that, if you think about that every day, that's going to melt your heart. That's going to sink down deep. That's going to bring some change. And to be patient with yourself, to be patient with others, you have to realize how patient God is with you. Second Peter 3, 9 says this. It says, look, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. This is why we get impatient, because we say God doesn't know what he's doing. He's taking his time. He's goofing off. God, I have this great plan. Why are you not following it? Why are you not doing what I expect? Why are you not doing what I wanted to do? I came to tell you, he's got something cooking. 
And if he sat down with you at Starbucks and he laid the plan out, it would blow your mind. You couldn't handle it. So he doesn't do that. He reveals it to you through faith, through trust, through walking with him. He gives you one little step at a time. You still may be thinking, why would I be patient with others? They don't deserve it. Look at the last part of the verse. Instead, he is patient with you. He's patient with us. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He gives us an infinite number of second chances. It's called his love. It's called his grace. But that question's still there. Why why would I be patient with others? I'm so fed up. Why, Why would I be patient with them? I'm not saying be abused. I'm not saying get stomped on. But I'm saying we should love each other. We should be patient with one another. Why should I be patient toward them? Jesus Christ could have said the same thing about you. He's failed a million times. Every second chance I give her, she drops the ball again. Why should I be patient with them? Jesus loves you so much. He came and he died on the cross for you. Spurgeon always says, and Keller always say, do you know what was happening on the cross? The greatest forces of the universe were arrayed against Jesus, trying to get him to drop us, trying to get him to abandon the mission, trying to get him to lose his patience. And Jesus could have stopped all of it. All he had to do was walk away. All he had to do was to give up on you and say, it's not worth it. Jesus could have stopped the torture. He could have stopped the death. He could have stopped the public humiliation. He could have stopped the betrayal. He could have stopped the separation from his father. He could have stopped eternal justice coming down on his head. All he had to do was give up on you. And all of it would have stopped. Jesus Christ was on the cross, nailed, bleeding, dying, looking down at people, betraying him and forsaking him and cursing him. And in the greatest act of love in the history of the universe, he stayed. He stayed. He stayed. For me, he stayed for you because love is patient. He knew we didn't deserve it. He knew that you would mess up again. He knew that you would mess up over and over again. But love stays. Love stays. When you realize he could have stopped all of that by just abandoning you, it changes things. That is the only thing that I think can make us patient people. It's not trying harder. It's not, I just got to focus more. I got to be harder on yourself. You're just making it worse. When you feel impatient with your kids or your spouse or your coworkers, whoever, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pause the pressure. I want you to take a deep breath. And I want you to pursue the gospel. Because he stayed. Because love is patient. He stayed because he loves you. He stayed because he has a plan for you. He stayed on that cross for me and for you. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that in the greatest act of love in the history of the universe, you stayed. You had every reason to get down. You said you could call 12 legions of angels to come to your side to rescue you, but you went through with it. You took damnation, you took hell, you took separation from God, you took public ridicule and and, and nakedness on that cross for us. We know you could have stopped it, but you stayed. God, may we be a people that stay. May we be a people that are patient. 
not out of our own strength, but through yours. May we be a people that love our neighbors, that love this community, that are willing to stay, that are willing to fight for it, even when it gets difficult, even when we want to quit. May we look to you. May the gospel melt our hearts and may we realize that you are love, you are patient, you stayed. May we be a people who love like you love, who are patient like you are patient, who stay like you stay. We believe Jesus is on the move in Virginia Beach. And if you would like to learn more about who we are and our mission, follow us at Ascent Church 757. If you would like to give to further our mission to impact this city and beyond, you can do so at our website, ascentchurch.net. We hope to see you soon.